Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this podcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marber, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey uh, Smart Vester Pro, as is the other money doctor here. Absolutely, we both are. Yes, that's right. And I have an MBA in finance. I've been helping corporations and individuals for over 20 years with planning. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. We are right here every week on podcasts exclusively um, up every Friday afternoon. That's right. You can also go to our website if you want to link into the podcast. We have a link on the right-hand side of the page. Takes you out of the uh, the moneymd.net website, but it takes you to another place called Podbean. I love technology, and it has all the uh, the podcasts historically, and we have them categorized by different topics. So if you have interest on in college or long term care or investing or whatever, we have them kind of broken out. Of course, we're on iTunes as well. That's right. Just search for MoneyMD there. That's the blue <laughs> app on your That's iPhone. That's right, in the podcast section. So look for that. So uh, We have a great show lineup for today, John. You know, we're going to talk about some things that are um, a little unusual. Um, one of them is we're going to talk about are you an underspender? Is that is that possible? Well, it's rare, but it is possible. <laughs> you know, underspender. There are people out there, an underspender. Yeah, I mean, somebody that habitually can't spend money that they really need to spend money and uh is that the same as being frugal or well no it's a little little more deeper than being frugal it's a little more extreme than frugal we're going to define the differences here but you know if you think you may fall in that category you definitely want to tune in probably everybody knows somebody that kind Mm -hmm. of falls in that category so yep you know here's kind of the psychology is behind it so tune in for that you're going to want to hear it yeah and then we're going to go into an article by uh, clark howard we don't talk about clark that much but uh, he's a great financial uh, mind you know consumer advocate and so forth and he's got a good good uh, topic about five decisions that can leave you broke and these are really good i mean they're financial related in in uh, most cases but um Kind of a different slant a little bit on uh, some of the items, so you want to make sure you stick around for that as well. Yeah, that'll be a good one. All right, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. See, this comes from the uh, Department of Labor, and um, you know we talk about technology. One of the one of the reasons why you know I think we're optimistic about the future is capitalism and technology, right? Yeah, it's amazing what that has, how that has changed our lives it, here over the last. You know, five or ten years. Yeah, absolutely. And this actually goes back um, 40 years. And and the average productivity of a worker has actually doubled over the last 40 years. So what took the average worker two hours 40 years ago now only takes an hour. That's a significant. That that is truly amazing. Yeah, it really is. And it's driven by processes and technology. I mean, think about the computer entering into that uh, equation as well. So productivity is one reason why companies can earn more money, right? If they have less capital invested and they can get more profit out of it, then they're going to have a, uh, you know, higher earnings, and that translates into typically, you know, better stock price. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's just an example uh, or testimony to American ingenuity and technology, you know, and why our standard of living is higher than that of other countries. Mm-hmm. It's because we have been so technologically astute to improve 
everything from energy to you know just to, to medical every, yeah everyday it's, life it's everywhere in our which is great it's very positive so it really is so that's a good fact I like that I like something positive like that <laughs> I got positive stuff for you today so we got a few <laughs> negative things we're going to talk about too <laughs> really uh, well yeah in fact one of them here is are you a problem underspender mm. now I know you have probably haven't heard of that problem too often out there um, and before we get into this let me just be clear. You know, most people don't have this problem, mm-hmm. um, and they can't even restrain themselves enough to build up a decent emergency fund. Um, in fact, in my 20 years in the business, the, the overspenders outnumbered the cheapskates by probably 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, however, this is a problem. You know, this comes out of bottom line personal. Uh, Brad Klontz, uh is the guy who, who wrote about this, and uh, he's a financial planner and a psychologist. Hmm. And, Interesting. Uh, you know, it really is interesting. You know, I mean, for the few of those people that do have this problem, it goes much deeper than finance, he points out. You know, it leads to a whole host of psychological and social problems. So while most spenders, you know, struggle to control their spending, um, a few struggle to spend anything at all. And the latter are extreme underspenders. And that can also be a problem in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes beyond just not buying stuff. The psychologist and financial planner here, Brad Klontz, he explains why this could be a big problem and what the underspenders need to do to overcome it. So we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that's right. You know, Steve, and and people who who can't bring themselves to part with the money, they may seem savvy or wise to a lot of people. But, you know, a lot of times they live unhappy lives um, of unnecessary deprivation. And, you know, they even might uh, be unhealthy because they won't pay for preventative medical and maybe dental care. And even in cases where underspending is, isn't quite that extreme, it still can lead to people, you know, living drab, monotonous lives. I mean, lives in which they're not really happy. Um, and we've said this before, money doesn't make you happy. I mean, it just doesn't. This goes on to kind of prove that. But, you know, because, you know, if you can shell out some cash for something that maybe gives you a little bit of peace of mind, um, that can be an important thing. But, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, they're unhappy, even though they have money. Exactly. So, I mean, you got to have a balance, right, and everything. You have to have a balance. So it's not clear exactly how common this extreme underspending is. Underspenders, they, they rarely seek help because they generally don't believe they have a problem. And even in the most extreme cases, they tend to consider themselves to be fiscally prudent, you know, but not miserly, right? I mean, they – but the extreme underspenders out there – they often cost themselves money in the long run by refusing to spend on what's required to properly maintain their bodies, their homes, their cars, their possessions. They tend to cut corners on health, maintenance on their house and their cars. You know, they buy cheap things that oftentimes are inadequate or end up costing them more money in the long run because they break. And they refuse to purchase a decent present for their family members or pick up the tab at a restaurant when it's appropriate. Um, They don't socialize because it involves activities like eating out or going to events which cost money. So as a result, their relationships suffer as well as their happiness. You know, financial fears really, though, are at the heart of extreme underspending. To an impartial observer, it might seem like the underspenders have no money worries. They tend to have plenty of savings, very low expenses, but in the mind of an underspender, there's always that danger of going broke that must be addressed by not spending. Hmm. And that's kind of what's at the root of this. 
you know, this fear is often rooted in family history. Many extreme underspenders, they grew up in households that were chronically short of money or they experienced a severe financial shock such as a bankruptcy or a financial threat at some point. Others grew up in households where there was sufficient money but where one or both parents maybe harbored money-related anxieties that date back to their own childhoods. So before you can resolve the problem, though, you have to acknowledge that you have one, and so that's that's kind of where we're at here. Yeah, and you so you got to ask yourself whether your financial caution is reasonable or, or maybe it's excessive. And extreme underspenders typically they can't answer this question on their own, and you know they truly believe that they're acting responsibly and uh, reasonably. So if if one of, if one or more of these telltale signs applies to you, you need to ask a spouse, maybe a sibling, adult children, someone that you trust um, that you can listen to and ask them if you, if they think your frugality is excessive. I mean, these signs include the following. Um, you know, you're regularly accused of being cheap, perhaps in a joking way, but people see that. You chronically decline to seek medical or dental treatment for fear it's going to be too expensive. Uh, maybe you avoid doing things that sound enjoyable, even though you have the income and the savings to cover that cost. I mean, that's a, you know, that's that's why some of the sadness, I guess, comes in is because you're not doing some fun stuff that you can afford. Exactly. And um, you know, if you frequently worry about running out of money, even though your income is well and in, in excesses of your expenses, you know, these are all signs that hey, you you may have an issue. Exactly. Yeah. And so. What do you do about it? Well, here's one thing you can do. You can consult a financial planner to examine your financial situation, weigh in on whether or not you're spending much less than you could safely spend. Um, if you can't bring yourself now to meet with a financial planner out of the fear that it'll cost you money, that might be a sign that you really do That's have a problem. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> that you may need to overcome that fear as well. Yeah, I mean, trace your financial anxieties back to their source as well. Do you recall serious financial problems or anxieties in your household when you were a child or a young adult? If not, ask your siblings, your parents, or other surviving family members whether they're aware of any money problems or anxieties during your formative years. Learning the root cause of your underspending will make it a lot easier to admit that this underspending stems from an irrational fear and not a fiscal prudence. Um, some people find that seeing a therapist can help them quote quote cope with the fears mm-hmm. rooted back in their past. So, but you have to get to the root of the problem. That's the point here, John. Yeah, that's right. And you know, you need to reflect on um, whether underspending is helping or maybe hurting you, like we're kind of talking about. And has your extreme frugality made you happier, or has it cost you opportunities to enjoy your life? Um, maybe it's caused strife with your family or loved ones. I mean, can you think of? Times when trying to save a small amount of money cost you a large amount, like you're talking about the car or even, you know, health, that's that's certainly a big sign right there. And, you know, as you look back, are there things that you could have done that give you, um, you know, pangs of wistfulness, as they say in here? So regret, you know, do you have regret? Should you have taken trips? Um, should you have gone to events? Um, what kind of hobbies, you know, have interest you that you could have pursued that you haven't? And, you know, those possessions you could have could have owned could they have brought you pleasure now you can't take this stuff with you that's right certainly not saying that money is going to you know spending money is going to fix your issues but i think this is a good point recognizing that there could be a problem yeah there could be a problem this leads to to some big anxieties Mm -hmm. beneath the surface so what are some of the steps you can take um like we said pay a financial planner to determine how much you can safely spend without any realistic 
risk of running out of money. You know, if you see a financial pro to determine whether or not you have a problem, ask him or her to provide that type of advice. You know, this won't make it mentally easier for you to spend money, but it will help you to sleep easier at night knowing that your fears about running out of money are not justified. Um, Another thing you can do is to make a few purchases that you can reframe as savings. You know, what could you spend a small amount of money on today that could save you a larger amount of money tomorrow? That might include obtaining preventive health, you know, Mm -hmm. or dental care, having maintenance work done on your home or your car, purchasing sufficient homeowners, auto or umbrella policy to protect you against a financial disaster. Maybe buying nutritious food rather than a cheaper but unhealthier food. Um, Money-saving purchases such as these can serve as kind of the initial small steps toward a more reasonable, more fulfilling spending habits. So an alternative maybe is buy a gift for people you care about. You may find it easier to spend money on your loved ones than to spend money on yourself, but you got to take those first steps to spend a little bit of money to kind of break the ice on the underspending. Yeah, you don't hear the money doctors telling you to go out and spend. No, you don't. This is rare. This is rare. This isn't for everybody. And it's okay to spend some. You just got to have a plan and make sure it all fits in. That's right. So another one here on the list is force yourself to spend money on yourself, um, you know, completely frivolously. I mean, that would be hard if you're an underspender. That would definitely be hard. You know, I mean. I find that hard myself. Yeah, right, right. Well, I used to. You're not an underspender, though, right? <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> okay, all right. So this this could be extremely difficult, but, you know, it's something that you got to consider. I mean, underspending is rooted in, in, rooted in anxiety. I mean, so people are anxious about this. And the most effective treatment for, for this anxiety is facing your fear. I mean, for an example, get a, go get a massage. I mean, almost ex- every extreme underspender, they consider massages a total waste of money. Yeah. Right. Do you yeah. consider massages a waste of money? Well, I can kind of relate to that. Could you know, be. Oh, I don't, could be a sign. <laughs> I don't get massages though. You know, I mean, it's a little different because I don't really right. enjoy them. If I enjoyed them, now I don't consider playing a nice golf course a waste of money. Okay. okay? So all right. Everybody's all right. got their thing. There you go. So uh, you know, go do something if you are an underspender. And I, I, I recently met one that uh, had significant money, and they just they just were had the fear of losing it sure, basically. So they sure, they yeah. were not spending it. But I have definitely seen folks like that. Yeah, I mean, make it a monthly habit. You know, one time financial frivolity is not enough to alter a lifetime of underspending. You know, at least once a month, make a purchase that you consider a little bit frivolous, but that brings enjoyment. You know, the amount you spend should be large enough to make you a little uncomfortable, but not so large that it greatly affects your bottom line, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not talking about going out here and risking your financial future. Meanwhile, start making a list of pricey things that might be enjoyable to you. You know, this might include renting a vacation home or upgrading to a bigger TV. You know, once you become comfortable with your small monthly frivolous purchases, then choose something from the list of larger purchases that you can fit into your your safe financial parameters provided by the planner that we spoke you spoke about that we talked about earlier. Um, of course, as we've said, I mean this only applies to the few underspenders out there. Most people don't have this problem, but if you do, you need to address it because it goes deeper than just saving money. You'd probably put golf clubs on that list, wouldn't you? As far as what? Just one of those big items to go spend on yourself, you know. That's a routine necessity, John. Okay. I mean, that has nothing to do with luxury or frivolous. (laughs) 
I didn't know if it was a monthly purchase or not, you know. Yeah, it could be a monthly purchase. (laughs) Technology changes in golf too, right? Like I said, everybody has their thing, right? (laughs) Everybody has their thing. Okay, that's a good topic though. All right, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with pensions and should I choose the income leveling option for my pension payout, and basically the income leveling um, for those listening out there is is where you're able to take more before Social Security and then less after you get Social Security. So you may get you know three thousand dollars for the next five years um, from your pension, but then it drops down to a thousand dollars because Social Security kicks in. It's just supposed at, to level at age sixty two. Yeah, level your income from you know before Social Security to after Social Security. So it really depends. On your situation, some people like uh, need that income today because maybe they have no other income coming in. Um, a lot of people do choose not to do that, and they want to have you know a little bit more money in retirement. So, but it does depend on the situation. Yeah, I like to see people hold off on that if they can. If they don't need the money, then then having that Social Security kick in at age sixty-two and having that income bump is a nice inflation adjustment because mm-hmm. your pension's probably not going to get any inflation. That's protection. right. That's right. So if you can hold off on that, if you have other resources, I think you should wait and not not take income leveling. But by all means, if that's what it takes to get you from age 58 to 62 or whatever it, it's an whatever it is, it's an option. Yep. And, you know, you certainly need to consider it mm-hmm. if you need it. So but that's a great question. All right. Good question of the week. That leads up here to our next topic, and that is the five decisions that can leave you broke mm-hmm. from Clark Howard. These are uh, these are good. Yeah. I, when I it, like these. Yeah, it is. And, and some of these we don't talk about a lot. So uh, I like the, uh, the, the the take on it. And, you know, when it comes to, to being financially solid, not only do you need diligence and perseverance, but you got to make smart financial decisions. And, you know, those things happen in life. Uh, there are a lot of things happen in life out of our control. But, you know, then there are other things that we, that we can choose and we can plan on. And so on your journey of being financially successful, you want to make sure you steer clear of these five financial potholes that can leave you broke. And um, number one here on the list, and Steve, we don't talk about this a lot, and we do see this out in the marketplace, is people taking out payday loans or yeah. title loans is another yeah, name for To me, for that's kind of a, a horrible, desperate move. That is a huge financial no-no, and you know, that should never be an option. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people do it. And, you know, if you look at the interest rate on there, we've seen them as high as, you know, a couple hundred percent. They're, they're saying 400 percent in here. Think about that. Yeah, they're unbelievable. <clears throat> I've I mean, seen them 280, 300 percent before. Yeah. And um, it's hard to get a- ahead of those. Yeah, if you go to one of those loan sharks, I mean, you must, you almost have to be right on the brink of bankruptcy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the examples here is um, a gentleman had to take out a uh, payday loan about $2,500, but soon this small debt ballooned, and it cost his family over $50,000 in interest. My I goodness. Mean, the numbers are staggering, and so that should not be a place um, to, to do. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's glorified loan sharking is what it boils down to. It so really in order to avoid these payday loans, you want to make sure you have good credit, and uh, you also have to have a really good emergency fund because things are going to break. Things are going to happen from jobs. Um, and you got to prepare for that rainy day, so stay away from payday loans. Yeah, and those payday loan uh, lenders <clears throat> out there, they're, they're not stupid. I mean, they're going to collateralize that loan. It's mm-hmm. going to be backed up by your paycheck. It's going to be backed up by your car. Your, it's going to be backed up it's by gonna some have something. real – It's right. going to have something behind it. Right. You know, you're not going to be able to walk away from that without losing something significant. You know, so – it's it's not like you know a little loan that you get from the bank or something where you you might be able to walk away from it if you if push comes to shove and right. you declare bankruptcy. 
you don't want to touch those, those are nasty. Loans. Stay those away. are nasty. Stay away from those folks. You know that's for sure. The second one here on the list is falling prey to a scam. Yeah, unfortunately, we see this. You, you see offers for scams all the time, oh, of yeah. course, in today's world of internet and uh, emails. But you know, we see folks in our business that that do run into this. Um, I don't know, at least once a year, I see somebody that actually has fallen for a scam and has actually, you know, lost some significant money because of it. Yeah, too many people have been scammed online or by phone by people pretending to be someone they're not, um, whether it's through dating sites, social media, email, smartphone apps, text messages, phone calls, mail, or any other way people can contact you. The fraudsters are out there. They're alive and well. So... Before you fall victim to a scam, you need to check it out on the internet. Any kind of offer you get, I would say search it under Google. You know, Google it under scams. See if there's anything that comes up. You got to do some serious research on anything that that where somebody's offering you something. Um, and so, just be sure you never fall for a scam. And when in doubt, you know, ask a trusted friend or a family member. Um, you know, don't answer emails with offers or, or news of any kind of inheritance. We get those, mm-hmm, all the, those mm-hmm. emails all the time. Yeah, I think I have $10 million waiting on me from someone in, um, I don't know, Africa or somewhere. I, I have it every day, John. <laughs> yeah, I know. Every single day I have $10 million waiting for yeah, me somewhere. You, you just haven't acted on it yet, huh? I get an email. I declare every day. You can't opt yeah. out of those emails, can you? I know. You, you no, know, no, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah, I mean, don't answer calls, you know. I'm talking about for for folks on your cell phones and your home phones. If you don't recognize them, I would say just don't answer the call. Yeah, let them go to voicemail. Let them leave a message. If it's a legitimate call, if somebody that really needs you is calling, they're going to leave you a message. And then you can return their call and you'll know who it is. But, you know, there are so many scammers out there. And for elderly folks that can't discern you know wh- whether what they're telling you is truthful or not. Just just make them leave you a message so you have some clue who's calling before you pick up that phone. Yeah, there are far too many people out there who needlessly fall prey to scams by willing, you know, criminals out there that they give their information to. You know, so just just be aware of the risk and don't let that happen. Yeah, be be skeptical. It's a good, very good point. Another one here is. Um, that can leave you broke is being a cosigner. I mean, uh, Clark Howard recently talked about this on his show and talked about how detrimental it can be. And this is an interesting stat. Nearly four in ten cosigners become responsible for the primary borrower's loan. I mean, you think about it, 40%. Yep. I mean, there's a reason why banks aren't loaning money to exactly. in that yeah. situation. If you're and a cosigner, you got to assume you're going to end up owing it. Yeah, absolutely. In addition, 26% of the time relationships between the primary borrower and cosigner are broken due to the strain issues with the loan um, and how that places on the relationship. So not only are you hurting financially, but then your relationship a lot of times is broken. And, you know, too many times a parent has to dip into their hard-earned retirement savings um, because they agreed to become a cosigner on a child's loan. I mean, we just, you know, talked about that recently as well. So if you don't mind losing your money and consider it more of a gift, that's one thing. But most of the time, cosigning is a bad, bad idea. So stay away from cosigning. Isn't it amazing how the the wisdom in Proverbs holds true even today on these co-signing alone? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. where it yeah, says it does. don't strike your hand and pledge with someone. It's just so true. Yeah. I mean, it creates problems up and down the line. <clears throat> you end up owing something. You're going to ruin relationships. 
Uh, just don't do it. Yeah, that's, that's a good line. book. I think most things <laughs> are applicable today. Yes, they are. Isn't it amazing how it's true? still true today? Yeah, next one here on the list is taking too big of a gamble on a business idea or a stock, the stock market, really, and just taking unnecessary risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it's good to take risk in life. You have to take some risk if you want a decent return on your investments, right, John? Mm-hmm. But as the saying goes, if you never try, you'll, you'll never know. Um, however, it's also good to keep your wits about you when you decide to take a risk in order to ensure that you have sufficient backup in case the plan fails. You know, it's definitely smart not to put all your eggs in one basket. Don't take risks that you can't afford to, to, to have fall through. Don't risk money you can't yeah. afford to lose. Make sure you understand the risk in any investment that you make. You really have to understand what the downside is and, and what's going to be the ramifications if if the worst case happens. When we have people invest in the stock market, we always say, look at 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great example of what the worst case might be. Um, but you might have heard the unfortunate story of the person who you know played the stock market like it was Vegas or the person who took out a business loan against their home and the business failed You know, while they were – there are incredible stories where choices like this turn out well. There are too many cases where they can be disastrous moves yeah. that can set you up for financial headache for years to come. Yeah, so it's not not worth the risk is what it boils down to because you can uh, you can, I mean the whole thing can blow up and fail. So when it comes to investing, I mean you know we recommend uh, you know being diversified and and so does Clark. And if you listen to the Susie Ormans and the Dave Ramseys. I mean, buying single stocks can be risky. Um, you know, index funds and, and other mutual funds is is a is a better way to go. It doesn't prevent losses, but it does help to reduce the volatility. So, and when it comes to business, um, you know, it's smart to test the waters part time before you quit your your job. And um, you know, I had a, a friend who uh, is started a business on the side recently. And he's able to retire from his day job um, because this other part-time job has now grown to a point that he can replace his income. So he did it part-time for five to seven years and um, now he's going to do this gig as well. So that's the right way to do it. It really is. The part-time way is, is a, it's, it reduces the amount of risk. So don't take too much of a gamble on a business idea or a single stock. You can really get yourself into trouble. And the last one here is over committing yourself to too much debt. I mean, Steve, whether it's mortgage, student loan, car loans, business loans, you have to be extra careful when borrowing money. I mean, if something ever happens that you don't anticipate, you know, you could be out of your car or even your home. I mean, that's why all of these cases, it's smart to have a very large emergency fund. You've got to have something protect yourself and only take on loans that you can really afford. So you've got to make sure you have that old budget that we talk about quite a bit. So be careful with debt. Yeah, that's right. And for a student loan, Clark Howard suggests that to to be sure you don't tack out more than you can expect your first year's salary to be. And I think that's a great rule of thumb, mm-hmm. you know, for a student loan. Yeah, if you can't cover it with one year's full salary, then then that's probably too much of a student loan. And for cars, it's smart to buy a two-year-old car that still has 80% of its life left while you're paying maybe 50% of what the new cost would be. You know, take out the shortest loan you can afford to uh, pay for the least amount of interest um, and to pay off the money overall, you know, uh, in the shortest time period. Of course, the best way to buy a car whenever possible is to pay cash. And the money doctors always recommend Mm -hmm. paying cash Mm -hmm. if at all possible. 
Um, so yeah, five yeah. decisions here. Um, stay away from from some of these. We see a lot of people getting into trouble with them. So um, I think Great I guess topic. we'll go into the prescription. We'll finish up here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, this has to do with estate planning, and um, you know, seventy percent of Americans don't have a will. I mean, that's what some of the studies and wow. stats show. So um, creates a lot of unnecessary heartache if you don't have a will. Uh, part of the will is financial, but also if you have young kids, it's also who's going to be the custodian of your kids as well. So there's a couple of different pieces. Uh, Health care, power of attorney can be built into that process. So if you don't have a will, uh, we can connect you with some really good lawyers in the area, reasonably priced, and you can sit down with them. Um, if you're tech savvy, there's there are other ways as well to, to do that. Yeah, I would even go a little bit beyond that and say you need to do estate planning. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you don't want your assets to go through probate, you need to go beyond a will, and you need to have things listed as, you know, joint with survivor or with a tr- transfer on death to name beneficiaries for, for personal accounts. Um, you can put your items in a trust. There are lots of things that you need to look at in estate planning for how your assets are titled and who you want them to go to mm-hmm. after you pass away. And part of that is having a will. So it's a great prescription of the week. You need to take the time to, to take care of your assets so that they pass the way you want them to and to your loved ones and you avoid all the cost and, and time associated with, with probate and certainly going intestate without a will at all. Yep. So that's a great prescription of the week. All right. That brings us to the close of this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday on MoneyMD.net to hear your prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. Email us your questions at info at MoneyMD.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.